Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership, change, and personal growth. The goal? To help you lead like never before in your church or in your business. And now, your host, Carrie Newhoff. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to a special bonus episode of my leadership podcast, and I hope that this one helps you lead like never before. And no, we didn't tell you about this episode because, frankly, we just thought about it at the last minute. But hey, if you're a subscriber, guess what? You get you get the bonuses of like finding a bonus episode from time to time, and I hope to do a couple more before the year's end, maybe just randomly. Hey, I want to try to tackle with you today a subject that I think is uh, a key key issue for about 85% of all churches. So I think it's actually one of the top issues in the churches today, which is that mythical 200 growth barrier. A lot of you just statistically lead smaller churches, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with leading a smaller church, except I think I know you well enough to know that you would love to see your church grow. You'd love to see maybe more than 200 people at your church. You'd love to reach more families. And I know I was there as a leader 20 years ago because I came to very small churches. If you think your church is small, my church was like six people. One of them, I I started with three churches. One church was six people, the other was 14, and the third was 23. That was our mega church. And um, it was a real struggle. And I mean, I didn't know how to be a pastor. They were trying to figure out how to be the church, and we wanted to reach more people. And when we hit 200 in attendance, and it took us a few years, but when we hit that, we kept running up against this invisible ceiling. And today's episode is all about how to break that ceiling. Now, if your church is bigger than 200, this will probably still be helpful because I kept running into scale issues at 400, 600, even 1,000. And guess what? I was always the lid, and the system, the structure was always the lid. And so I'm going to share with you today an interview that churchleaders.com did with me last year on a blog post that I wrote called the top, uh, what did I call it? I called it to eight reasons churches never break the 200 attendance mark. When they actually asked me to do the interview and I wrote the blog post, I had like eight reasons. And I've done a lot of research on it and I've actually changed some of those reasons, but I think the principles still appear. It's not like, hey, four of them aren't reasons anymore. It's just, I think there are four better reasons. And actually all that research and all that work has sort of found itself into a brand new course that releases its launch week for Breaking 200 Without Breaking You. And if you're trying to grow your church and you're realizing that there are structural issues, maybe your board doesn't want it to grow or your congregation wants a a vote on everything, or maybe, um, you know, you find yourself being the lid, this is what Breaking 200 Without Breaking You is designed to do. And you can get the course, you can learn more at breaking200withoutbreakingyou.com. But I'm going to walk you in the course through the eight key issues that Almost every church leader struggles with, and certainly I struggled with personally. But in the meantime, thanks to the good folks at churchleaders.com, they gave me permission to share the interview that Brian Orm did with me on their podcast, which is a great podcast, the Church Leaders Podcast, uh, with you. So that's what I'm going to do right now. We're going to jump into that interview, and then I'll come back with some fresh thinking right after that. So here's my interview as a bonus episode with Brian Orm, originally aired at churchleaders.com on their podcast. Carrie, it is great to have you on the Church Leaders Podcast. I've been looking forward to this day and uh, super pumped to have you on the show. Well, thanks. It's a real honor. I'm a listener, and uh, I am, I'm just so thrilled. And it's great just to connect with you, Brian. Thank you. Yeah. No, and we've been friends, like we've mentioned before. We've, tra- we've traveled together, and uh, yeah. 
with compassion. We went to Guatemala and uh, just really always appreciated your heart for ministry, but also your passion to resource and inspire leaders to do what they do better. So again, a natural fit to have you on the show. And I think we're going to talk about some super valuable things that our readers are really going to love. So well, thank you. Well, hey, let me start out by, so you've been a longtime writer for church leaders. So a good friend of church leaders, good friend of mine. And uh, it's one of those things where we've, we've had a number of articles over the lifetime of church leaders that have really taken off and gone viral. And one of them has been yours. And uh, so I want to take this podcast today uh, kind of in workshop mode and unpack this article that's titled, uh, Why Most Churches Don't Break the 200 Attendance Mark. And yep. uh, it really, really hit a nerve. And it's one of those things where I think that there's so many listeners out there in those seats that are probably thinking they're in that seat right now going, I've tried everything. What do I do? Um, and so I want to jump into that article, get your input and just kind of hash out strategies and make it super practical for our readers today. Sure. Awesome. That so, sounds like fun. Yeah. And I learned all this the hard way because I started at really small churches. I mean, the average attendance at one of the churches I started with 21 years ago was like six people. And I actually had somebody recently remind me when I said that in front of our church, she's still with us, is like, actually, Carrie, some Sundays it was like two people. I'm like, oh, yeah, I blocked that out of my brain. <laughs> that's right. I forgot. It caught that bad sometimes. That's so, awesome. Yeah. I mean, I'm familiar with large church. I'm familiar with small church. And of course, part of my story is growing from a very, very small church through that 200 barrier now to the church we have today, which runs over a thousand on the weekend and 2,500 people call it home and the whole deal. So, yeah. yeah. So you have a few of those original six with you still? Yeah, we do. You do. We do. And I have some scars uh, that that testify to some of the principles as well. So. I bet you do. <laughs> yeah, that's right. We'll try not to open the wounds up too too that's much right. in this, right. in this it episode. It doesn't, doesn't really hurt anymore, mostly. Most <laughs> yes, days. exactly. Most days. Yeah, except for when the cold brings in. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> so let, let me start out with this, because I know there's probably a lot of our listeners, too, that have heard a lot about church growth. They've you know mm. seen the books, listened to podcasts. And maybe they are a little critical about the term and how they approach it. So I guess I'd love to just kind of spend a minute or so just unpacking the term of church growth and why you think it's a positive term and a positive movement. And uh, maybe just answer those critics, somebody who's saying, hey, I don't oh, yeah. even want to deal with church growth. That's not spiritual, maybe, unquote, exactly. unquote. Yeah. And you know, I, I, I've been in leadership now for two decades and I've heard a lot of people, I thought the church growth movement was dead. I mean, that was a big thing in the 80s and 90s and it almost became a dirty word in the 2000s. But one of the things I've learned from blogging, uh, you know, and you share my posts, but you know, in my blogging is leaders are very passionate about church growth. In fact, most of the top posts on my blog uh, are church growth posts. And so that's been really shocking. But here's why I think it's so important. You know, you can frame it as church growth, but church growth is directly related to the effectiveness and the health of church mission. And so if you're against church growth, to some extent, I think you're against the mission of your church, because it doesn't matter what denomination, what stripe, urban, you know, rural, city church, suburban church, most of us want to reach people. And so I'm just going to assume that most pastors and most church leaders want to reach people. And if you're going to reach people, that means you're going to have to run into the issues associated with church growth. Yeah, no, that's a great answer. And I, and I think it's, it's the way that we position it sometimes, and it is, it's mm -hmm. a, we're called to grow and to pursue and to, you know, and be a part of the, the expansion of God's kingdom here on earth through the gospel, but it is those, that, that sense of probably there's maybe, I don't know, like uh, cliched approaches that kind of just feel yeah. like quick, 
you know, I mean, tricks to get people to come into your church. And, uh, and those are not what we're talking about when we're talking no. about church growth. No. And growth is a byproduct of other things, you know, like you can, you can focus on the numbers. And I think people who focus on like, we want to be a church of a thousand generally don't become churches of a thousand. I think when you focus on people, uh, like for example, you know, we're, we're still early into a new year. Uh, I've got three people I would love to see baptized this year. I just, you know, been working with them for years, been praying for them for years. I would love to see them baptized this year. If they end up attending our church, getting baptized, you know, becoming followers of Jesus, well, then we've got to steward them. And so I really think that's what church growth is all about to me. It's just stewarding the people God sends your way. And obviously, I'm all in favor of more people coming into a relationship with Jesus. Yeah, amen to that. And I I think that's connecting that church growth to real life change through Jesus Christ is what we're doing. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I think that's where we can where, where it can become negative is if we're just focusing on the growth and it becomes more of a uh, I mean, a, you know, a hidden pride issue to say I want to grow my church oh, yeah. to this level instead of I want to see God work and the the people that I know, the people in my neighborhood, in our community, in our city, to this level. And that's a different perspective, for sure. I, I agree, for sure. And I always have to sift my motives as a pastor. You know, I have to make sure that I'm not just in it for the crowd, or I'm not just in it for the numbers, uh, that the people really do matter. Um, and so I, I think you have to do that motive test. I think you have to sift your heart. On the other hand, if you're really passionate about people and really passionate about the mission, your church is going to grow. And and the barriers that present themselves, particularly at the 200 mark, are invisible barriers. So often, the reason I'm so passionate about this issue is a lot of well-meaning, praying, faithful pastors, faithful church leaders, faithful elders, faithful volunteers want to see more people reached. And the obstacles they're hitting are invisible. And because they're invisible, they're so frustrating and they can't figure it out. And they'll finish their lives going, I was faithful. I prayed. I did everything I could. Why did my church not grow? And so that's what we've got to try to figure out. Yeah. And I think that's a great point. Before we jump into the obstacles, let's talk about some of those things that are not the result of lack of church growth. So it's one of those things, maybe those those myths that we think, this is why I'm not growing. Uh, right. what, what would be some of those things that you would mention? Well, just to list off a few, desire. I, I honestly think most healthy church leaders want to reach more people, which implies growth. So I don't think it's a lack of desire. I don't think it's a lack of prayer. I mean, you know, it's kind of that thing, oh, well, you know, if you're not hearing from God, you probably have some unconfessed sin. I mean, maybe you have some unconfessed sin that you need to confess, but I know a lot of very faithful prayerful people who sincerely love Jesus and sincerely love people, and and they can't get past that 200 barrier. Uh, I don't think it's love. I, I think sometimes people in smaller churches are better at loving each other than people in large churches. So I don't think it's an absence of love. And um, a lot of people, you know, think, well, I just need a new facility, or I need more money, or, you know, we got this old 100-year-old building, so we're never going to grow here. Man, we started growing in centuries-old building that literally— did not have a phone, did not have internet, were not heated during the week. I think you can grow a, a, a growing church in a dying facility. Now, obviously, at some point, you may need to move, but moving facility or spending a million dollars isn't necessarily going to grow your church. Yeah. And just a reminder, without heat, you're in Canada, so that's a big deal, oh, right? Yeah. yeah, this is not exactly Grand Cayman. I mean, uh, yeah, yeah. I had to work out of my basement, which had heat, um, yeah. for five years because the churches, we couldn't afford to heat them during the week. We just fired up the furnace on Sunday mornings at 5 a.m. and had church and then shut it down <laughs> Sunday at 1. That is wild. <laughs> it sounds silly, but we grew. 
And, you know, we saw people come to faith and get baptized, and it was exciting. Awesome. So let's start talking about some of these invisible barriers that come up. And you listed eight in the article, and I'd love to kind of cover them and and develop them a little bit, um, flesh them out together a little bit more, too. But the first one deals with kind of a mentality of pastoring in a philosophy of ministry that I think probably was really popular, um, I mean, even a a decade or a couple decades ago, that still filters in to the way we do leadership. But could you explain, like, this first one about the pastor as caregiver as a, a hindrance? to church growth? Well, for sure. I mean, the pastor is the primary caregiver. And if I had to pick a big one, that would be it. This is the principal barrier. I think seminaries train us to be caregivers, at least mine did. I think most of us, you know, we'd never been in a large church. I hadn't been in a church over 200 people before I led one. And so we're all going in with our eyes wide open. We have no idea what's going on. And, and the expectation when you're in a small church, hey, when you have two people attending your church, you can't say you're too busy to do pastoral care. Right. Like you just can't get away with that excuse, Brian. And so consequently, I think you you create this dependence. And uh, Josh Gagnon, who we both know at Next Level Church, says he often puts very relational people into some of his new campuses because relationships will grow a church. You get to know people, so on and so forth. But the biggest challenge is what got you to 200 isn't going to get you sustainably past 200 because pastoral scare, care rather beyond 200 doesn't scale. It yeah. just doesn't scale. Um, and um, Carl George and Warren Bird in their book, How to Break Church, Church Growth Barriers, I read that in the 90s. Saved my skin. I'll tell you, it was so good. It's still in print. You should buy the book. Said, once you hit 200, you're going to have to train your congregation not to look to you for pastoral care. And so, you know, the thing that got you there, great relationships with all these people, being at their weddings, being, you know, conducting their funerals, um, visiting them in their homes, all that stuff, you kind of have to stop doing so that you can lead more of their friends and more of their family. And that's a very, very tough transition, both for the church, but also for the leader. Yeah, it's kind of a scary transition. I mean, talking to pastors, I know it's kind of like losing that control or even that amount of being needed in the church. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's a tough leadership transition and a dynamic shift to kind of accept at, at one point. It's very, very difficult. And, you know, you have to be prepared to become unpopular. You have to be prepared to disappoint people because, you know, some of those people who you went to their, you know, 20th wedding anniversary or whatever, you know, you, you were at their parties. I mean, you're just, you just can't do that. When you have a church of 400 or 800 or us now, 2,500 people call our church home. It's like, I don't even know who they are. And so I can't pastor them. I have to now pastor the staff. I have to pastor the elders. I have to pastor the people in my immediate span of care. But I, I can't do the whole church. Or you you artificially stunt the growth of your church. So that's a, a dynamic you have to do. And in the same way, you might train a puppy. That's a bad analogy. But you also have to train your church. And so I spent two years saying to our church, look, I can't lead the Bible study anymore. You guys have to start leading it. I can't be at all of your events. You have to look to each other for pastoral care. Um, You should visit each other in the hospital. I can't make all the hospital visits anymore. And that's a tough transition for me, but it's a tough transition for them. Yeah, no, I think that's phenomenal. And as we move into the next aspect of leadership, uh, point number two and number three kind of deal with those leadership things. And obviously at Church Leaders, we are passionate about helping leaders do things more effectively for the kingdom, become better leaders themselves. But uh, I think a lack of leader strategy is number two of why churches don't break the 200 attendance barrier. And, uh, and a lot of deals with people have mission and vision down, but the actual practicality of 
how that kind of goes through their church and works for their church is, is lacking. What do you think about that? Yeah, I, I had to figure out a strategy for this. And strategy, you know, the mission and the vision provide the what and to some extent the why, right? So right now our mission is to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus. I don't think there's a single listener who's going to disagree with that mission. You might express it differently. It might have different language in your church, but everybody agrees on that. And then, you know, we want to create a church unchurch people love to attend. And I'm going to assume most people want to do something very similar. Where where it gets divisive is on strategy. Okay, so in order to be a church on church people love to attend, we're going to change the music. I mean, we had choirs and robes and people who couldn't sing singing and people who couldn't play playing, and I had to shut all that down, and then we got a band, and you know, the people who started in the band maybe weren't good down the road to go beyond that, and so we had to uh, tell them, uninvite them from being in the choir, uninvite them from being musicians. And then we had to say, we have to be very, very focused on becoming a church that really unchurched people love to attend. That for us was a five-year window. That was strategy. That's where it gets divisive. So number one, you have to have a strategy. Number two, you have to get buy-in around that strategy. And number three, you have to endure it when some of the people that were with you walk out the door and new people walk in. And hopefully your gains outpace your losses. Uh, They may not every season, but hopefully long-term they do. Yeah, and let me dig into that a little bit more. So let's say someone comes to you at those beginning years of that change and that shift and they love to sing and feel like God's given them that, that um, gift of singing, and they're frustrated and, and maybe even a little angry that you're not inviting them to sing, and you're telling them that they can't, and they're following you, seeking you after church. What do you tell them? How do you kind of explain that to them? Yeah, that's tough. I mean, you duck out of the building and you run to your car, Brian. That's the best answer You head I've to got. Wendy's and pray they don't find yeah, you. That's right. That's right. You change your name and address and move to another country. No, those are really hard conversations. And I mean, I wasn't always great at them, but you just have to say, look, we appreciate the effort. I'm just not sure this is the best place for you to be serving in right now. And Some people are going to handle that really well. I think actually fairly healthy people will handle that fairly well. We've all been on teams where it's like, hey, you're not going to be the starting shortstop. You're going to be our backup guy in this game. And, you know, you got to swallow hard and go, okay, all right, all right. I think the healthier people can understand that and they realize that they are part of something bigger than themselves. But for maybe toxic people or codependent people or people whose identity is in that, they're going to leave. And you have to try to minimize the damage and just let them go. And you want to make sure that you've been as gracious as you can, but you need to be prepared to let them walk out the door. And hopefully the music will be better by the changes you're making. If you're making it worse, that's probably not going to resonate. So, I mean, you end up with some disappointed people, but they can go to another church and sing poorly or play poorly. And that church may not grow. Uh, You know, as I always say, they're going to heaven anyway. They just don't have to go on our bus. And hopefully there are people that are going to walk into your church that aren't going to heaven and now are going to because you've made the changes that you're going to make. And as a leader, you almost have to staple that reality into the front of your brain and remind yourself of that again and again, that where we're going is better than where we've been. Yeah. And I can feel the pain too, uh, being in a smaller church, working through some of those transitions, having some of those conversations. And I think I I would just concur. It's one of those things where I think healthy people can deal with that and see the bigger picture of mission and make the sacrifice for ministry. Um, people who that's where they're wrapped up in, it's really difficult and you might lose them. And I think you almost have to be okay. It's almost like that American Idol moment where it's like, yeah. 
you haven't been as great as everyone's told you all your life. And now I'm the one bearing that message because no one else could. And it's painful. That's it. You know, your mom will always be your fan. But I think what if there's a principle behind it, Brian, it's probably this. It's to affirm the intention, but not the direction. In other words, I love the fact that you want to help. I'm not sure this is the right direction for the way you want to help. Let's find another way for you to help. Okay. You can serve on guest services. You can help behind the scenes. You can, you can run the soundboard if you're good at that. Like there are other places for you to serve, but you know, and the other thing I wrote a post on this a long time ago, but like, you know, turning down their microphone is not a good leadership strategy No, (laughs) because you're just avoiding the issue. Somebody at some point has to go up and say, Thanks so much, but we're making some changes on the team. Yeah. And those are hard leadership calls, Uh, but that is what leadership is about. And that's with your board too. That's with your board. That's with everything where the person who's always done it sometimes can't be the person who's going to do it moving forward. And again, healthy people get that. Unhealthy people get upset. Yeah. Great points for sure. Um, So let's go to the next one here. Number three of why we don't break the 200, why many churches don't break the 200 attendance mark is that true leaders aren't leading. And I think this is, again, this is kind of goes, the leadership starts with the pastor or the main senior leader, and it trickles down to others who are leading and and how we empower them and give them the right to lead and identify them as leaders. But how could that be something that actually hinders a church? Yeah, well, you all start with with leaders that you inherit. And unfortunately, in a lot of situations, the people who hold the positions of leadership actually aren't leaders. They were just popular or they've been around for a long time. So what I found myself in was uh, a board of official leaders, you know, uh, that some of them were going to be great for the future and some were not. And then I had to look around the church and find the real leaders. Like who are the people who are leading well in, in their businesses or in their families or in life? And, and, you know, how do you know if you're a leader? Well, you look over your shoulder and see if people are following. It's those people that you want in leadership. Because eventually, here's what happens, is you can't lead everybody. You can't have a direct relationship with everybody as a leader of a church over 200. So you have to have a relationship with your leaders. And you want them, in turn, not to be doers, but people who can lead other people. So you've really got to identify the leaders. And again, this might take a couple of years, but sort of thank the people who have served well, who maybe aren't leaders or aren't in the right seat on the bus, to use Jim Collins' language, and then get the right right leaders on the bus. And then you yourself, you know, as you pass that 200 barrier and soon you don't know everybody's name. And then eventually we're at this stage now. I don't even know every volunteer's name. I wish I did, but I don't. We just got too big. And so now I have to really know and build into the leaders and they in turn have to be capable of leading others. So that's a transition you have to make as your church goes beyond 200. Yeah. And I think that transition between existing leaders who maybe have either run their course or Mm -hmm. maybe just, uh, I mean, we're not really suited to be in a position of leadership to begin with getting that buy-in. So the transition is there or even helping them mentor or bring along. So it's not such a, a stark contrast of like, Hey, you're out, he's in or she's in. It's a, Hey, let's make this transition. Like you were saying over a period of time uh, because of these values and this big picture, right? That's right. And they can still play. They can still skate. It's still an all skate. You know, we have people who used to be elders, who actually were good elders and their season ended. Now they serve on guest services or they serve on the parking team or they serve midweek or, you know, and again, the healthy people get that. The toxic people don't. And your church is probably better off without the toxic people anyway. Yeah. And let me kind of hinge on, or like uh, go a little deeper on that. With toxic people that Mm -hmm. we're talking about, um, when do you know it's time to release them? And when do you feel like there's time to like really pursue and, and either confront or disciple them into a healthy perspective. How do you, where's that break at? 
for you? Yeah. You know, for me, it goes back to John chapter five and that question Jesus asked, do you want to get well? And hmm. with, a, with a person who isn't really, like might be having toxic behavior symptoms or whatever is like negative, when you really sit down one-on-one with them, you take them for lunch or you take them for coffee or sit down in your office and you sort of say, hey, this isn't going well. Can we figure out a way to make this work? If they respond positively and they're open and they're self-reflective, I think you have the opportunity to say, okay, let's get a new role for you. If they're like, well, I don't like this and I don't like that and they're yelling at you and you know, the only thing they see is their position, that's a sign of a toxic person. And at that point, you know, I, I, I agree with what Henry Cloud said in his book, uh, Necessary Endings. At that point, for the sake of the organization and for their sake, you've got to kind of usher them out. Yeah. And I've done that. I've sat down with people and said, I don't think we're your church anymore. Yeah. That's hard. And, but then they found another church and they were happy there. It's like, okay, great. Yeah. Have, you, have you had it in that situation where maybe they've had a following and taken a good group yep. of people with them? Oh, yeah. 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 And, and there are chunks that disappear. Uh, and one of the things I learned early on from Reggie Joyner, Andy Stanley, was simply this. You got to focus on who you're going to reach, not who you're going to keep. And in those moments of crisis, it's so easy to focus on who you're going to keep, not who you're going to reach. And so you have to think, you know, is our church going to collapse you know, if you're losing good people, Brian, this is the other thing I learned. Because sometimes I've lost good people because I was bad at navigating the change. You know, if you've got great people who are making solid contributions walking over the door, out at the door rather, you need to look in the mirror. Yeah. But if it's people who are just going to go grumble somewhere else and they bring their grumblers with them, that's okay. Yeah, I think that's a great point and a really critical point too, that sometimes, um, I mean, the criticism or someone really healthy leaving call is calls for us to evaluate our own leadership. And we need mm-hmm. to do that. Everything can't be an other people problem. It has to be oh, no. reflective. You, you have to look and you have to have, I'm so glad you raised that. You have to have great people around you who are going, Carrie, you're being an idiot in the way you're leading this right now. Or you are just a bulldozer and you need to slow down, you know? And, and so you've got to have those people around you because you're not always right just because you're the leader. And, and sometimes you're going to have to go, and I've done this, and apologize to people and said, you know, what I said or what I did hurt you or how I handled that wasn't right. And other times you honestly don't need to apologize because it was the right move. You handled it as graciously as you could. You took the high road and you have to let the chips fall where they may. Yeah. Great point. So let's zip through these next ones yeah, here because I have a couple other questions too. The uh, sure. number four of uh, kind of what holds back churches from um, breaking the 200 attendance mark is that volunteers are unempowered. And mm-hmm. uh, so how do you, how did you see that transition in your own church from um, having volunteers are unempowered to empowered volunteers to drive the church towards growth? Well, there's a temptation just to hire staff, right? And you're, you're going to need more staff. But, you know, we only have 10 or 11 staff right now at our size. And, man, we have 500 volunteers. And they have to lead things. Like, they have to lead their section of the kids' ministry or lead all the small group leaders. They have to lead guest services. And so you've got to get volunteers from being doers to being leaders. So I think you've got to empower them. And when you have, the, the reason so many leaders are hesitant to do that, Brian, is because we're afraid they're going to run off in rogue directions. And the reason we're afraid they're going to run off in rogue directions is because we haven't clearly stated the mission, the vision, 
or the strategy. If you get your volunteers aligned around your strategy and everybody buys in, then you can go and sleep at night because you're not worried that they're running the church off in some rogue direction or plotting a rebellion or, or whatever, because trust is high and direction is clear. And when trust is high and direction is clear, then you can have 500 or 5,000 volunteers who are really just accomplishing the mission um, while you're doing your part of the mission. So Love you've it. got to empower your volunteers. Love it. No, I think that's great. And number five, I would kind of term as death by committee. Um, yes. It's one yes. of those things where you have the governing boards that are micromanaging. And so how do you break down a kind of like this kind of, even it's a culture in our church, we make jokes about it because it's like meetings, meetings, committees, committees, and it's like everything boils down to another meeting where we don't have time to actually do the ministry or we don't free people up to do it. So yeah. how do we break that culture? Well, I think you've got to break it by having the conversation honestly. And I think you need to say, and we did this with our board, you know, when we were going through the four to 600 barrier and even up to 800, I'm like, look, there's a certain point at which you can know a lot of details, but you've got to trust the staff. And so we moved from elder led to staff led and elder guided. That was a really important transition. And, you know, some of the people you're going to have on your elder board, they're entrepreneurs, they're business leaders, they're vice presidents or presidents of things. And they're used to like being in the details and being in the weeds. And so uh, my job often was to sit back and say to them in those seasons, hey, I appreciate it. You have a right to know everything. But I mean, we're going to have to meet every night for two hours if you really want to know everything. That's why we have a staff. And so you've got to get them to function like a board of directors for a hospital or a, a larger not-for-profit that looks at, at the big picture. You know, we just approved an almost $2 million budget. I'm not sure I even know every line in our $2 million budget. The elders can't know that in two two-hour meetings that look through things. But the trust has to be high and they have to look at, okay, what's our staffing ratio? What's our outreach ratio? What's our missions ratio? What are we wasting money here? And they have to be the guardrails. And so you have to have a competent staff team, but you've got, and I, I just find over and over again, I've had to remind myself, but also our leaders, hey, you have a right to know everything, but it's not helpful if we govern ourselves that way. So if there really is like, hey, is there something hidden in the spreadsheet? Oh, by all means, go there. Yeah. But, you know, look for danger, look for opportunities, but focus on the 20,000 foot view and only dive into the weeds once in a while. Yeah, no, that's great input for sure. And we kind of covered number five and six in that. Number seven is there's yeah. too many events and programs that lead nowhere. Yeah. Um, and I think this is a big one because I know that small churches um, and me, I've been a pastor in a small church as well. It's the drive to create more and more programs that don't actually lead to effective results. But they, right. you just keep layering on programs because of what you've done. You keep you come up with new ideas and you add that to the list. And then before you know it, you have a small church that has a ton of things going on, but not a lot of fruit. I agree. You said it really well. And I mean, what I had to do is I had to shut down all kinds of unproductive things like potluck dinners and like bake sales and bazaars, because that's how our church was funding its mission. When I first started 21 years ago, it was like, you know, we're going to have a bake sale. And I said, well, what do you, you know, we need $5,000. Like, that's a lot of cookies. And, you know, they were like, well, that's what we've always done. And I'm like, well, have you heard of tithing? You know, <laughs> if we just like gave money, we wouldn't have to bake cookies. And so we eventually shut down the bake sales, the rummage sales, the dinners that weren't on mission. But then we became a program church. We replaced all of those 
programs with other programs. And I was sort of of the, if you can dream it, you can do it. We did that for a few years and I kind of looked at it and thought, all these programs lead to dead ends. They lead nowhere. And I'd read the seven practices of effective ministry in the mid 2000s. I read Simple Church and I went, oh my gosh, this is our problem. And then I had to shut down all the programs we started. And then we aligned around a simple strategy, which I am continue to be a huge fan of. And that strategy is going to evolve. You can always do groups better or differently or serving better or differently or mission better or differently. But focus on those few things that you can do extremely well that absolutely support your mission and you'll be better for it. Awesome. And and number eight, the last one, I think really encompasses all of these together and they kind of fuel into this last one, Hmm. uh, which hinders churches from kind of breaking that 200 attendance mark is uh, the people-pleasing pastor. Yeah. And uh, if you're a people-pleasing pastor, it's going to be really difficult for you to do any of these things really well because you're going to be listening and kind of responding rather than charging ahead and leading. 100%. I mean, I just think, Brian, you have to please the right people. At the end of the day, you know, we don't all want, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not a people pleaser, but I am. I don't really want to preach a message everybody hates. I mean, at a certain level, you become pathological when you, when you really have that desire to be hated. We all want to please someone. Ultimately, I think I have to please my heavenly father, not, not to sound cliche, but I think that's actually true. But, you know, I, I want to please the people who see the future and can get us there. I want to make sure that I'm serving them and not really please them, but you know, I want to make sure that I can't have the favor of everybody and I can't have the positive affirmation of everybody, but I want to make sure I have the affirmation of a wise circle of counsel that has the ability to say no and isn't afraid to stand up and who I respect and who have a track record of moving the mission forward. In this case, that's our elders, that's our staff, that's our key volunteers. I want to make sure that I have their confidence and their respect. And I think with that, we can go forward. But if I'm trying to please everybody who shows up and every new person and every family, I mean, that is a death spiral that you never really get yourself out of. And that's really a spiritual issue yeah. because, uh, you know, I have my wife at one point said to me, man, you have this like bottomless pit of a need for affirmation. And I had to really <laughs> pray about that with God. And I'm like, yeah, I... God, you got to deal with that in my life. And so I'm weaning myself off of the desire to please everybody. But that doesn't mean you should please nobody and have the world mad at you, right? Yeah. Like that's it's not an that's excuse not for right being a jerk. Either. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly it. So you've got to find that and you, you got to get some great people around you that overall, have, you know, you have their confidence, uh, they have your confidence and together you can actually lead your church forward in mission. Awesome. Awesome stuff. So Wrapping up with this question here, this last one, if there are some listeners right now, I'm sure many pastors and leaders um, who are listening to all this, taking it in, what would be a first step that you would encourage them? They're maybe you know, at 100, maybe 150, and they've, been, they've tried everything. Um, they're working through these. What would be like a first step to begin? What's the biggest first step for you? Study the issue and talk about it with your board. Um, I, you know, I'd go back to this post. I'm sure you'll link to it. Um, you know, get a book like Warren Bird and Carl George's book, or, you know, I've written some stuff on that and, and understand the issue thoroughly and then go and lead that conversation with your board and say, Hey, we do, we all want to get there. Yeah. And then start working through the issue systematically. And if they can see it, you know, and you prepare yourself, okay, there's going to be a day like you tell your board, Hey, 
I'm not going to be able to go to all the hospital visits. And what would our church look like? Doesn't mean that people aren't cared for. It just means that I'm not going to do all the pastoral care. So how do we structure this? And I think if you've got a reasonably healthy board, they're going to be open to that. Awesome. Hey, I would love to have you wrap up our time by just giving a, uh, a short prayer for our listeners and for their ministries and for the growth that they're going to see in 2016. To just ask God and invite God to be a part of those plans and uh, to see great things happen. I'd love to do that, Brian. Thank you. Heavenly Father, I just want to pray for every leader who's listening right now. Lord, you know um, what it's like to be in leadership and, and probably better than any of us do, you understand the weight and you even understand the issues that we're struggling with. And Father, I know that uh, for me anyway, as, as I've led this over my lifetime as a leader, um, it's caused all kinds of insecurities in me to surface and all kinds of fears in me to surface. And I'm sure they're surfacing even listening to this interview with leaders. And we just think it's impossible. Father, would you give us the courage to come before you and to bring those issues before you and to get the help we need to deal with our desire to please everybody or disappoint nobody or um, to want to be needed or, or whatever it is that might be keeping us back. And um, we know that nobody has more invested in the mission of the local church than you do. Nobody is more desiring to see people reach than you are. And I just thank you for leaders who, whose hearts are there. They just want to see their church grow, but maybe who just need a skill set or a toolbox to help them. And I pray you provide the right tools, and I pray that you provide the guidance, the encouragement, the support, and the correction as it's needed. And I just thank you, um, Father, for every leader who's listening. I pray you would encourage them, whether they're on staff, senior pastors, board directors, executive pastors, they work in kidsmen, whatever they do, you just encourage them as we all work together um, to advance your kingdom. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Carrie, thanks so much. It was great having you on the show and I look forward to having you on again. Such a privilege. Thanks so much, Brian. So that actually for them has become one of their most downloaded interviews. And, and even the blog post that started it all is one of the most read blog posts I've ever written. And, and that just tells me that there is uh, a real need there, which is why I developed the Breaking 200 Without Breaking You course. And it is live now. It went live yesterday or earlier this week, depending on when you're listening to this. And I would love for you to go on and check it out. So just go and see Breaking200WithoutBreakingYou.com. And I just want to explain one more thing before we go. What's the breaking you part? You know what? When so many leaders try to break the 200 barrier, what happens is they just think more people equals more hours and they burn out. And um, for those of you who know my story, you know I have a heart for people who burn out and I don't want to see people burn out and I don't want to see churches burn out. So there is a whole component of self-care there. And, and so many of the issues that, that churches face are not spiritual. I mean, yes, you need to pray, you need to read your Bible, you need to love Jesus. Got that. But they're structural, actually. The reason you can't break 200, 500, 1,000 is usually a structural issue, not a spiritual issue. And if it is a spiritual issue, we'll get on your knees and pray. But if it's a structural issue, how do you solve it? And that's what the course is designed to do. So I really hope that's helpful. And I really hope that you don't get broken in the process of trying to break the 200 barrier. We have some exclusive bonuses uh, that are happening this week only. 
And that's, if you're listening to this the week of, uh, well, it's Wednesday, September 20th, thereabouts. Um, you can still get the bonuses, but they're going to go away. But the course is going to be open uh, long term. So what you can do is just go to breaking200withoutbreakingyou.com and you can learn more there. In the meantime, I really hope that this content today and the special bonus episode has helped you. If it has, uh, share it with your friends and let them know about it. And if you're not a subscriber, you can subscribe for free. We've got uh, brand new episodes dropping. We've got Henry Cloud coming up. We've got Mark Batterson coming up. A whole lot of other uh, leaders who are coming up on this podcast that I know you're going to benefit from. So thanks so much for tuning into the special bonus episode. Hope you have a great day. And I do hope that our time together today has helped you lead like never before. You've been listening to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change, and personal growth to help you lead like never before.